rescuing us. Be with Lori as she delivers your message today and be with um, all, the, all of our prayers, all our prayer requests. Be with those who um, need someone this season. Help us to maybe be that person that they need. Thank you so much for all you do and for sending your son. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you. That was beautiful. Okay, so we've made it. We're at the fourth Sunday of Advent. Christmas is coming. We are going to finish up this connecting series. And I have to let you know, again, if your chairs are cockeyed, turn them around so that you don't have to, like, twist over your neck in any way. So um, just to make it a little more comfortable. Okay, so... We're going to do a quick review of where we've been during this Advent season and where we are today so that we can have our hearts fully prepared for the Christ child to come and for that Christmas story, whether it's at the beach on Friday at 5 or whether it's at the four services across the courtyard or whether it's on Christmas morning at 10 a.m., we want to be ready for the Christ child. So... We started out with our hope candle, and we learned that when we live with the hope of a God who shows up during our deepest and darkest times, and he shows up between us, through us, and in spite of us, and when we acknowledge that death does not have the final word, we can believe the angels who say, do not be afraid. And we can join in their heavenly and their sometimes broken hallelujahs. On the second Sunday, we let the peace light lit the peace candle, and we learned that like the shepherds, Christ was born for all of us, all of us who might feel rejected or abandoned or unworthy, that we are called to set down our sack that weighs heavy on us so that we can return to the Lord with all our heart, and we can experience a peace that passes all understanding, and we can begin to embrace life as a gift. Last week, we eventually lit the joy candle. We need to keep our eye on these. I set my house on fire on Friday night, so if they start going down, um, Matthew, you got a quick first step that you can get up here and blow those out. They're going, they're going crazy. All right, so we lit that peace candle finally, and we discovered that Christ, oh, we did discover the pink one is joy. We discovered that a courageous joy is not based on our circumstances, but by being anchored to God and God alone. We were encouraged to be humble like Joseph, to put our superhero cape away in the drawer, and to wear our be awesome undershirt quite confidently that as we go out into the world to be kind, loving, and merciful to all of those around us, the joy comes flooding back to us. Anchor our lives to that courageous joy that we meet in the humble manger. This week, our candle is love, and the Christmas character is Mary. Now, this is an easy connection. A mother, a child who happens to be the son of God, and love. I think a fourth grader could do this one. So let's start briefly with our love candle. In the English language, you know we have one word for love, four letters, one word, and we know how versatile and overused it is because I love my husband and I love pizza. Don't make me choose. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Just kidding, honey. But in Greco-Roman literature, they actually have four words for love. 
They have storge, which is an empathy love. It's like living with someone in your family, something like a parent might have for a child. There's philia love, which is between close friends. This is like Jonathan and David in the Bible. It's the most... um, Unique love because we choose it. It's not a natural love because we don't need this kind of love to reproduce. It's this one that we choose and we nurture. The third kind of love is eros, which is, of course, that romantic love. And for those of us who have been in love, we know how powerful and how flaky that kind of love can be. But finally, we have the agape love, that unconditional God love. This is the love that serves regardless of changing circumstances. It's kind of like that courageous joy. We're loved with an agape love from God, which makes it full of grace and full of mercy. And we're called to have this agape love towards others, which honestly is impossible to do without God. Agape love is not driven by feelings, but rather by a choice, or maybe more correctly, by a response from the love that we have been so richly given. So when we talk about our mission statement to love God and love neighbor, we're talking about agape love. When we light the love candle, we're talking about agape love. I don't want to blur the distinction, but I think one of the ways that agape love is best demonstrated is through the act of forgiveness. Agape love is the Amish community who forgave the man who walked into their one-house schoolroom and shot ten little girls, killing five of them. Members of the Amish community went to the killer's funeral just the day after they buried their own daughters. They embraced his widow. They hugged his children. They set up a fund to care for this killer's children. Agape love is an openness to God to give us what we cannot do on our own. And if we can finally receive that gift of being forgiven, maybe when we need to forgive, if there's been a serious injury done to us, or if someone has betrayed us, or if a parent has abused us, or a careless driver has killed someone we love, if we receive that agape love, perhaps, maybe, we can then give it in the act of forgiveness to someone else. To forgive is not to deny the pain or the wrongness of the act. To forgive is not to excuse it, anything that might be unjust or cruel. To forgive means to make a conscious choice to be unbound by evil. To forgive is to love in an agape kind of way. Nothing is impossible with God. Agape love is what distinguishes a Christian from others. It's not quoting Bible verses at people, although it's good to have some Bible verses tucked away in our heart. Agape love is not lecturing others about do's and don'ts or lifting up some moral code of conduct for others to follow. No, agape love is something bigger something so much bigger than us that we receive from someone who was humbly born in a manger just to be one of us. If you have any doubt about how much we need a savior for this agape love, listen to what Jesus says in Luke 6, verses 27 through 29. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. 
Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Yeah, right. Like, I can't do that on my own. But remember, nothing is impossible with God. On the practical side, I want to give us three thoughts or tools to consider as we try to remain open to this kind of love from Christ so we can give it to others. First is to give extravagantly. It's important to remember that Jesus loves us right where we are. He loves us when we're prickly. He loves us when we fail to think before we speak. He is generous and extravagant in his love for us. And being loved like that perhaps frees us to love someone else with all of their faults. The old classic, classic the golden rule, when we treat others the way we truly want to be treated, we give up trying to control that other person or trying to control the situation. We stop looking for flaws as we realize how deeply flawed we are as well. We hold back on our verbal karate chops, choosing words that heal rather than heat up a situation because that's exactly what we would want if the tables were turned. Tony Campola is a pastor and a speaker and an author, and he tells the tragic story of when he was in high school. He still has shame and regret about this. There was a boy in his class who was gay. The kid was harassed, taunted, and pushed around. One day, this boy was drugged into the locker room, and five of his classmates urinated on him. This was the tipping point for this young boy. He committed suicide that night. Now, Campola is 81 years old, so when he was in high school, the issue of homosexuality certainly wasn't mainstreamed. But the issue of being for the outcast and those that are living on the margins, that had been clearly demonstrated by Christ over 2,000 years ago. Although Campola didn't play an active role in the abuse, he says he also didn't practice the agape love that he was called to give to the outsider. And it could have been just as simple as being his friend. The golden rule. The final tool for practicing agape love is to love unexpectedly. What if we made it to the end of our lives only loving those people who loved us back? Not only does that sound like the makings for a bleak world, but we would miss out on those revelations that God has intended for us and us alone. Loving difficult or unlovable people is definitely a hard path of faith, but it's also where God does his best work on our hearts and in our lives. The golden rule has the bookends of giving extravagantly and loving unexpectedly. Well, we're going to learn a little bit more about love from our Christmas character, Mary, and we're going to experience how she was called to and how she responded being the mother of God. I asked Marcia if she would read our scripture passage today, and she's going to come. Thank you. If you would come on forward, come on down. Um, it comes from Luke 1, verses 26 through 38. You want me to go up? Yeah. Good morning, everybody. 
In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now... Your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her whom was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. Thank you. Let us pray. Open our hearts, O Lord, to receive the pure love from the Christ child through the words just read and the words to come. Amen. So like so many of our Christmas story characters, Mary has an encounter with an angel or a messenger from God. In the Gospel of Luke, we read the story through the eyes of a powerless, frightened teenage girl and through the power of love. Think of the sacrifice and the risk that she had to take just to follow through with this crazy plan of God's. She's just an ordinary Jewish girl of Nazareth, year one. The news is like an earthquake to her very simple, uncomplicated life. It reminds me of the movie Juno, the comedy about an ordinary teenage girl living in Elk River, Minnesota. Although the movie came out in 2007, I want to show you the trailer to help us make a modern-day connection to this ancient story. What's the prognosis, Fertile Myrtle? Minus or plus? There it is. Little pink plus sign is so unholy. That ain't no Etch-a-Sketch. This is one doodle that can't be undid, Holmes Gillett. Just tell him. I'm pregnant. Who is the father? It's Polly Bleeker. Polly Bleeker? That you had it in. I know, right? <laughs> Did you see that coming? Yeah, but I was hoping she was expelled or into hard drugs. Or a DWI? Anything but this. I could, like, have this baby and, and give it to someone that, like, totally needs it. You should look at the Penny Saver. They have ads for parents. Yeah, desperately seeking spawn. Hi, I'm Vanessa. Hi, I'm the husband. This, of course, is Juno. Like the city in Alaska. No. You're a part-time lover and a full-time friend. When this is all over, we can, then we can always get back together. Uh, were we together? Yeah, we were. We had once, you know. At time. 
You think you're really gonna do this then? If I could just have the thing and, and give it to you now, I totally would, but I'm guessing it looks probably like a sea monkey right now. Oh, we should let it get a little cuter, yes. right? Great. Keep it in the oven. Fox Searchlight Pictures presents a comedy about life. Boy, I thought you were the kind of girl who knew when to say when. I don't really know what kind of girl I am. And the bumps along the way. Your little girlfriend gave me the stink eye in art class yesterday. Katrina's not my girlfriend, all right? And I doubt that she gave you the stink eye. That's just the way her face looks, you know? That's just her face. I don't know if I'm even ready to be a father. Hey, big puffy version of Junebug. Where you been? Start dealing with things way beyond my maturity level. to know that it's possible that two people can stay happy together forever. The best thing you can do is find a person who loves you for exactly what you are. Juno. Your parents are probably wondering where you are. Nah. I mean, I'm already pregnant, so what other kind of shenanigans can I get into? <laughs> so here we have two teenage girls separated by 2,000 years both unexpectedly pregnant. Mary, though, is our example, our witness, our sister who voices us a pattern of Christmas expectancy and Christmas response. She embodies our Christmas feelings, our questions, and the ponderings that we have. Both pregnant teenagers, however, help us to establish Advent as a way of life. First, we discover that Mary doesn't really do anything She's just favored. The angel Gabriel came to her. She doesn't seek out an, an encounter with God. God seeks her out. Juno, on the other hand, seeks out Polly Bleeker for a connection and ends up pregnant. Honestly, I wouldn't want to trade places with either one of them. The sacrifice for both of them is great. Their reputations, along with the pain of disappointing their parents, their peers, and then having one's life all of a sudden on display for everyone, and I mean everyone, to see. It's just overwhelming. Yet they both found a courage and a strength that they didn't know they had. God's call on our lives is not always an easy path, but we are always better because of it. Always. Second, we learn that Mary is perplexed. No kidding. Juno is perplexed, too. Questions often go along with this type of discovery, and they, we ask things like, why me? Why now? When we are perplexed and pondering, perhaps this calls us to a deeper trust in God, the God who holds the future in his hands. Third, Mary asks, how can this be? I think Juno knows that answer for her particular situation. But sometimes when God shows up in a big, surprising way, we might not have all of the answers, but we need to have the courage to take the next best step. Juno experiences doubts and concerns about what to do, but she makes the choice not only to keep the baby, but also to find good parents to adopt the baby. Fourth and finally, Mary makes a commitment. Here am I. Let it be with me according to your word. When God calls us into new life, something old has to die. 
Juno had to let go of her normal teenage body and her sense of control when the perfect parents that she picked flaked out and they weren't the kind of people she thought they were going to be. Mary had to trust God to step into a future that she couldn't possibly imagine. Yet both of them, both of them said yes. Advent establishes a way of life, a way of faith. Accepting our call or being chosen and then trusting God, sometimes the best thing we can do is take that next best step and then surrender with a quiet confidence, open to the love, and then we can say, here am I, let it be. Now we don't have to, we have to be careful not to romanticize Mary too much. She was signing on to a lifetime of both great joy and deep suffering and pain as the mother of God. Yet in love, and trust, she opened herself up to God's love and to God's plan by saying, let it be with me according to your word. So you remember the song, Let It Be, right, by the Beatles? Paul McCartney wrote this song during a really dark time in his life. His mother had died when he was young. I think he was only like 12 years old, and her name was Mary. So he wrote this song after a dream or a vision came to him of his mother and it brought him a sense of peace. When I think about this song, I wonder how it might apply to our lives as well with Mary and the Christmas story. So just listen to a little bit of Paul McCartney um, singing this in New York City. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be And in my hour of darkness She is standing right in front of me Speaking words of wisdom Let it be 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 Whisper words of wisdom Let it be when the broken-hearted people living in the world agree, there will be an answer. Let it be. For though they may be parted, there is still a chance that they will see. Maybe when we hear this song again, we can make a connection to our own faith journey. The song says, in our hour of darkness, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. Well, let it be is this open-palmed, letting go of our anxiety, letting go of our control, giving it all to a loving God, trusting 
a loving God to bring beauty, goodness, and the light to drive out the darkness. And then for all the brokenhearted people, the people that we prayed about earlier today, there will be an answer. Let it be. The answer is that God's love, justice, and abundant life will prevail. In the meantime, we can respond with light in the form of kindness, mercy, and agape love. So there's this kid named Mark, he's 11 years old, he was an orphan, um, and he lived with his aunt, who is a bitter middle-aged woman who was greatly annoyed at having the burden of caring for her dead sister's son. She never failed to remind young Mark how if it weren't for her generosity, he would just be in some orphanage somewhere, or even worse, out in the street. But in spite of all the scolding, and all of the nastiness of this aunt, Mark was still a sweet and gentle child. Now, Mark's school teacher never really had noticed him that much until one day when he started staying after school and just helping her clean up the classroom. They didn't talk a lot, they just sort of did their own thing. It was sort of a sanctuary after a loud, long day. But when Mark did talk, he talked about his mom, he talked about how she was kind and gentle and how loving she was. She always, always spent a lot of time with him. Now, these were just memories because he was quite young when she died. As Christmas drew near, Mark stopped coming into the classroom. And the, when the teacher saw him one day, she stopped and she said, I've missed you so much. Is everything okay? And his eyes got like the size of saucers. And he goes, really? You missed me? And she goes, oh my gosh, you're the best helper that I have ever had. And he said, well, I'm working on a surprise for you. And he was kind of embarrassed and he scurried off. Well, she never saw him again in her class until the day before the Christmas break. And he walked up to her with his little hands behind his back. And he's like, I have a present for you. I hope you like it. And he gave her this little tiny wooden box and she held it in her hand and she said, oh, Mark, it's beautiful. And she lifted up the lid and looked inside and there was nothing in it. And he said, oh, no, no, it's not empty. It's just that you can't see it or you can't feel it or taste it or smell it. But it's something that will make you feel good all the time, warm on cold nights, safe when you feel all alone. She gazed into that empty box and she said, well, what is it, Mark, that could make me feel so good all the time? And he whispered, love. And my mom says it's best when you give it away. So we celebrate God's love. I am reminded, listening to Lori giving us God's word and interpreting it, I'm reminded of one of the 